1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: Love is calling, every time that Paul ends a letter, he just loves to emphasize the grace of our Lord Jesus. Everybody understands, right, that justice is getting what you deserve, Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. I mean, gr- grace is over and above just the abundance of even God's mercy. So, justice is getting what you deserve. We all deserve justice.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. Each and every one of us has our own unique set of characteristics that show themselves in a wide variety of ways. From art forms, writing styles, music, or otherwise, many of us can identify certain patterns or trademarks in the works of others. In today's message, Pastor Gary draws our attention to one such characteristic of Paul found in each of his letters, grace. In his study, you'll learn that while Paul's usage might seem repetitive, we would do well to focus on God's grace all the same. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: So we started uh, last week into this um, second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, and just by way of quick review, the bullet points we shared from last week. This is a continuation of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, all written by Paul to either Timothy or Titus, as young pastors about the instruction of God's house and how it should function in practical ways. And so he exhorts Timothy here in 1st and 2 Timothy, uh, written by Paul about five to six years after his first letter to Timothy. But this time, Paul is imprisoned in the Mamertine prison in Rome. The year is roughly 67 A.D. when he writes this from prison. And it is considered his farewell letter. He knows that his death is imminent. And so he will say in chapter 4, verse 6, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He knows that he's about ready to leave this earth and enter glory, and that is because uh, there is this ongoing persecution of Christians by the Roman Emperor Nero, and as a result of Rome burning, Nero blames it on the Christians. Paul is kind of captured in, in that wave of persecution of Christians. He's imprisoned as, as part of that, and he will in fact be executed by Nero in 67 or 68 A.D., and so he knows you know, I don't know whether the Lord has uh, given him testimony of this, or he just senses it because of the climate and the conditions around him, but he knows that his time is short and he's ready to depart. So even though Second Timothy appears here uh, in, in the latter third of the New Testament, and Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, this is his last letter. So some consider this the the final words of a dying man. These are his last words of counsel, and so these are, these are some important letters, especially here as we read 2 Timothy. Now, last week we just did a quick overview of chapter 1, and uh, Paul gives different directives to Timothy, five of them we, we numbered, that he tells him to fan into flame the gift of God. He tells him, do not be ashamed to testify about The Lord, He says, uh, join in suffering for the gospel. Suffering is a word that Paul uses four times in the second letter to Timothy. Uh, It's just a standard that he's used to by now. And he also tells Timothy to keep the pattern of sound teaching. Don't depart from good doctrine. Stay true to the teaching of God's word. And number five, to guard the good deposits. So that brings us up here to chapter two. I'm going to read the first seven verses. We'll see if we can get through these seven verses tonight. There's a lot in these Seven verses, but he says in verse one, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So why don't we do the same here? We're going to reflect on what he's saying. We're going to go back up here to verse 1 of chapter 2. And again, he addresses Timothy as my son. He's not his biological son, Paul is the father of the faith in Timothy's life, so he's just kind of like a spiritual dad. It's a very affectionate terminology Paul's calling him, like, you're my son, my son in the faith. And he says to him, he instructs him, he says, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I love Paul's emphasis on grace. You know, it, he doesn't say be strong in the justice of, of Christ Jesus, though, though God is just. And he doesn't emphasize, you know, be strong in the law of Christ Jesus. Even though God is the perfect lawgiver, he Paul emphasizes the grace. I want you to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to highlight: if you go, uh, just hang a left and go backwards. First Timothy, keep going. Second Timothy, uh, sec, uh, sorry, First Timothy, and then Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Just keep going to the left a little bit. I, I want, I want you to see with me. And go all the way back to Colossians, so just a, just a few pages to the left. And, and I want you to just notice with me the ways that Paul commonly ends his letters. So for example, if it, we're going to go to the, just the last chapter, the last sentence of, of these particular books. So for example, Colossians, the way that Colossians ends, chapter 4, the very last sentence. Look at it with me. Grace be with you. You see that? The last sentence of Colossians, grace be with you. Now go over to the next book, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, look at the last chapter, last verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, last chapter, last verse. Paul writing all these epistles we're we're reading from here. Last chapter, last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Keep going. First Timothy, look at First Timothy, last chapter, last verse, chapter six, last verse of First Timothy, grace be with you. Go to Second Timothy, the book we're in. Notice how Second Timothy also ends, last chapter of Second Timothy, last verse. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Keep going a little bit further, Titus, bear with me, I just want you to see this, Titus, look how he ends the book of Titus, grace be with you all. One more, go to Philemon and see the way that Philemon ends, last verse of Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You get the picture here? Every time that Paul ends a letter, he just loves to emphasize the grace of of our Lord Jesus. Everybody understands, right, that justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. I mean, grace is over and above just the abundance of even God's mercy. So, justice is getting what you deserve. We all deserve justice. But mercy is when we have God's favor, and so we, we, we don't get what we deserve. We get mercy instead of justice, but grace is over and above that. Grace is getting something we don't deserve at all, and it is, of course, that famous acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, so it's just how God is a gracious God, and, you know, look, if you have failure in your life, and we all do, and sin in your life, and a past in your life that troubles you, hey, Come to Christ, let him forgive you of your sins, let him wash over your life because there is an abundance of grace to go around for every sinful thing we've ever done. Is anybody thankful for grace in your life? Amen. So that's where it begins chapter 2 here. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men. Some of your Bibles, New King James ESV says, to faithful men. Okay, entrust to faithful men or reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So Timothy wasn't to you know hold all of this to himself. He was to raise up other faithful teachers who will also uh, uh, rightly divide the Word of God. He's going to say that down further. And then in verse 3 through 7, Paul compares the Christian life to three particular occupations or vocations. If you notice with me, between verses 3 through 7, he talks about endure hardship, verse 3, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a good, as a a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So that's the first. So I'm just going to kind of go through this together because he exhorts us to live the Christian life like these three particular occupations or vocations or professions. He's going to talk about a soldier. He's going to talk about an athlete. He's going to talk about a farmer. So first things first here, he talks about, he compares the Christian life To that of a soldier, and one of the things that he says in verse three there is to endure hardship with us like a good uh, a good soldier. The hardship being the training and the discipline. You know, it's it's hard work, and it's and it's uh, takes a lot of training and discipline to be a good soldier. And he adds in verse four that no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So Paul tells us two things about a soldier's life that is very similar to the Christian life, as he uses this analogy, that A, a soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs, and B, a soldier wants to please uh, his, or in our day, her uh, commanding officer. And so uh, let's just kind of walk through this a little bit. I want to spend some time looking at these analogies together, uh, because I, I think, you know, he's using these for a reason, so let's understand what he's trying to say to us here. There are many of you who have or currently serve in, in our military, and so you would be the first to agree with, with the idea that someone in the military, in many ways, lives a separate life from the rest of the world. They, they live a separate life in the sense of having a, a separate standard, a, a distinct code, a unique set of values, and though... Soldiers are among civilians. They are not a part of the civilian world because they are in this unique uh, military world. And and as a result, that, that military environment has been built on things like honor and code and loyalty. And there's this distinction that he says here about a, a, a soldier being a part of the military versus those who are a part of the civilian life. And he says, a good soldier does not concern himself with civilian life. And so when I think about this analogy, what it says to me is that, that there's, a, there's a military life and then there's kind of a civilian or worldly life. And that's what I think he's trying to say to us, that as Christians, we are to live by different honor, a different a, a set of standards, a different code. And that though we live in the civilian world, so to speak, we are not to be a part of it. We are to be distinct from the worldliness that is around us. We have to still integrate with it, but we are to be distinct from it in the sense of living by a different honor code, by living by a different standard, much in the same way that military does it in in different ways. And, And you see different military language in the Bible, in New Testament terms, where there's this analogous comparison between military and, and, and civilian life. For example, 2 Corinthians 10.3, Paul says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. There's a military term. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let me just read it from verse uh, 3. He says, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So even there in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's like, you know, we're in a battle here. And, and so there's this military mindset, and he wants us to understand as a Christian that we need to carry this mindset into all that we do and not get ourselves involved in worldly, if you will, civilian affairs. First John chapter 2, the Bible warns us, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So, I think when Paul speaks here about military, civilian, he's saying, all right, Christian, listen, you're in a battle. You need to live by a different honor code. You need to to live by a different standard. It's unto the Lord. Don't involve yourself in worldly, civilian things because here, everybody needs to get this. As a Christian, there are three things that are constantly working in concert against you. The world, your flesh, and the devil. And the world is constantly trying to squeeze you into its mold. The world is constantly trying to influence you and me to conform to its image, to conform to its philosophy, to conform to its cultural mindset and its cultural and social worldview. But as Christians, you see, when we understand that the Bible is to shape our worldview, then we live by a different biblical standard. And so again, though we're in the world, we're not to be of the world, we're to see things differently through the lens of the Bible. We are to honor God as our commanding officer because we want to please, that's the second thing he says here, anybody who's in the military wants to please his commanding officer. And so that's the responsibility of us as Christians. And that's why the Bible talks about in terms of our faith being like this battle. And Paul would say back in First Timothy chapter 6, 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. He said, man, we, we are in a battle as Christians to defend the faith and to live in such a way that is distinct from the rest of the world. And so the world is waging war against us. Our flesh is waging war against us. And Peter would say in First Peter two eleven, abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. To hear again, this military mindset. And then, of course, the Bible warns us about the battle of the enemy, that the devil is constantly at work trying to tempt and trying to lead us astray. That's why Paul writes this whole section in Ephesians chapter 6 about finally being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the world is working against us, our flesh is working against us, The enemy is working against us. We're in a battle. And as people in God's army, we need to recognize this, not live and involve ourselves according to civilian worldly standards. Be separate, distinct, live by a different honor code, serve your commanding officer in a way that pleases our Father in heaven. And and, and that's an important aspect to all of this too. How do you please your commanding officer? I mean, there are a lot of words that can define military, loyalty respect honor duty courage but i think anybody here who has served or presently serves in the in the united states military would also recognize that an important word if you're going to please your commanding officer is submission submission to authority and we are called upon as those in god's army to submit to his authority and to honor him as our commanding officer. the, The United States Armed Forces Oath of Enlistment, okay, goes like this. I, and then you insert your name, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. Now, twice in there it speaks about orders, orders, obedience, obedience to the President, obedience to uh, those officers appointed over me. And when one takes that oath of enlistment, you are not your own anymore. You belong to the United States government and you no longer have your own choice about things, all right? You, you no longer will decide what you want to eat or whether you want to wear khakis or army green or whether you want boxers or briefs. You will be told. You will be told what to wear, what to eat, when to get up, when to go to bed, when to burp. You will be told everything. And we need to understand this, that as Christians, our mindset needs to be the same thing. When, when we are bought by the blood of Christ, you are not your own anymore. You belong to your commanding officer, and your life now is completely designed in surrender to him, and and it's all about obedience at that point, and submission to the authority of God in your life. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then you want to live your life in such a way that conforms and submits to your commanding officer. Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him, in every way. And by the way, you will not be able to please your commanding officer. You will not be able to please the Lord if you are more intent on pleasing people. If you are a people pleaser, you will not be able to be a God pleaser because if you're more concerned about what others think than you are about what the Lord thinks, you will never fully please your Father in heaven. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The second thing that he compares our lives to in this passage is an athlete. And he says in verse 5, who competes according to the rules. To the rules. Now, there have been some athletes who have competed And some who have competed according to the rules, and some who have not competed according to the rules, and as a result, they've either been disqualified, or they've been stripped of a medal, or there's an asterisk by their name now in the history books. No one has ever won a Super Bowl ring, or a pennant, uh, or a medal because they cheated. They have to obey the rules. And if they don't obey the rules, and it's discovered, then there are consequences. Mark McGuire, Alex Rodriguez, Ben Johnson. How many of you remember? In the 2000 Olympics, some of you weren't even born in 2000. I shudder to think. I, I was doing, uh, I was doing a, a little devotional for FCA over Loudon Valley High School this this past uh, school year, and. I was giving this illustration, and it had to do with the space shuttle disaster. I said, how many of you were around in 2003? Like, no hands went up, and I'm just like, (laughs) I'm feeling really old right now. But anyway, in the Summer Olympics 2000, how many of you remember the name Marion Jones? So Marion Jones, one of the most decorated women athletes of all time, in the 2000 Summer Olympics, she won five medals in track and field. But she was stripped of all her medals later. Um, in her prime, she was one of track's first female sports millionaires, typically earning anywhere between seventy dollars and $80,000 per race, plus at least another $1 million from race bonuses and endorsement deals. But she was stripped of her medals because of illegal doping, And as a result, I mean, she just lost everything. In 2006, she lost her $2.5 million house in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to foreclosure. And seven years after winning five medals, which were subsequently stripped from her, just seven years afterwards, Marion Jones was completely broke. All because she did not compete according to the rules
1: jump in and you'll find the your connection towards your new life. If you'd like to explore more of these messages from the Book of Second Timothy, you'll be able to find them at our website cornerstoneconnection.cc You'll find all of Pastor Gary Hamrick's through the Bible teachings there. And you can subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new edition of the program. We're glad you took time to learn from the book of 2 Timothy with us today on Cornerstone Connection, and we hope you've been encouraged listening to the words of the Apostle Paul. Paul was nearing the end of his life when writing to Timothy, but he wasn't planning to slow down his ministry. Paul wanted to continue to share the gospel message wherever and however he could, serving his Savior until his final breath. Paul's mindset is one that you're encouraged to adopt, too. No matter your age or stage of life, you can be serving Jesus. You can continue to tell the story of the gospel and lead others to the grace and hope that you know. We'd love to come alongside you in prayer as you continue to minister for the kingdom. So please give us a call and let us know how we can do that. 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. But still you know. You're not a